I invite you to have a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is the verses we are going to camp in for the next seven weeks. It's going to be a seven-week series, and the series is called Rooted in Faith and Wrapped in Love. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But the, the, the theme of this morning's message, the kickoff sermon in this series, it's entitled, Make Every Effort. And I wanted to talk about effort and hard work. And a quick search of the internet will show you that there are millions of motivational sites to encourage you to put in the hard work. And so I've just grabbed a few of them here. Um, uh, and by the way, I haven't checked the source of any of these. I'm just showing you these as pure motivational candy. Success is sweet, but the secret is sweat from Norman Schwarzkopf. Next one. A dream doesn't become a reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. Colin Powell. Next. <laughs> this, if you've ever watched mixed martial arts, this is what the commentators are always saying. Hard work, beat hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Next stop. There's no shortage of these. If you ever need motivation, you can subscribe to these feeds. The only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. I like that one. Uh, moving on. Uh, this is from Thomas Jefferson, apparently. I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more that I have. It's a good one. Oh, Stephen King, talent is cheaper than table salt. He has a way with words, right? <coughs> what separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. And then I believe I have a deep theologian for the next one. Do or do not, there is no try. That's from Yoda. But anyways, <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> there's no shortage of encouragement to work hard and to buckle down. And I think the reason that there's so much encouragement to do this is because we don't like doing it. We would rather coast. We would rather just relax through life and what we do. I wanted to talk about Michael Phelps, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Those are his Olympic medals. Michael Phelps didn't miss a practice from the age of 11 to the age of 16. That included every day, Sundays, birthdays, and even Christmas mornings. He was in the pool, an average of four hours every day, grinding it out. And as a consequence, he was the youngest man to make the US Olympic swim team in 68 years. And he is the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time. He has 28 Olympic medals. Now. I'm not saying that it's only hard work that got him there. There's some genetic factors there. He's got a super long torso and he's muscular and he was of a certain socioeconomic status that he had the ability to put in that work. And there was all these different factors that contributed. But I do know that if he didn't work hard, he wouldn't have 28 medals. So many of the races that he won in the pool were won by fractions of a second, tenths of a second, hundreds of a second. This message is about putting in effort, about working hard, and I confess flat out that it's something that we don't generally like to do. 
The series, Rooted in Faith, Wrapped in Love, is based on this little sermonette in 2 Peter, verses 3 to 11. I'm going to read it in just a moment. The list that the sermon contains a list of virtues that grow out of faith. And when you read these virtue lists in the Bible, you know, uh, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. The significant parts of the list are the very first one and the very last one. And the very first thing in this list is faith. All of these things that we're going to talk about this whole series long is rooted and grows out of our faithfulness to God. It's rooted and grounded in faith. And the last item in the list is love. Because all of these items in the list that we're going to look at for the next seven weeks, they all find their completion in love. That's why the series is rooted in faith, grounded in love. And today, let's hear the message. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 11. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, but there's many good versions out there. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things very precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine life. For this reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind. It's a little harsh, eh? And is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and sisters, there should be a key there, make all the more effort to confirm your call and election for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Now, you may notice right off the bat for reading that, that we're not used to hearing Peter's way of speaking. I, I've never, never, ever in my life, I've been pastoring since 97 I've never preached on 2 Peter. And I think it's good to hear voices that we're not used to, 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 to hear, hear them again. And I, I mean, I've read the book, but I've never really gone into it here. And one of the things you'll notice in 2 Peter, that he speaks about the world being corrupt. And that's an old, uh, you've probably heard a million old-timey preachers um, emphasize this, right? The world is horrible. The world is bad. It's getting worse. And the expression we always use is, it's going to hell in a handbasket. I actually looked up that expression to figure out what it meant, and I couldn't figure it out. No one really knows what the handbasket means, but I think it's a nice alliteration. So we talk about the world going to hell in a handbasket, and all this bad stuff, and all the corruption in the world. And because I've taken some time looking at church history, um, I know there's corruption in the world today. 
but I know there's been corruption in the world all the way along as well. What does this corruption mean? What is Peter talking about here? Well, you can read this corruption in a couple of different senses. This part of the message is going to be a little more teaching than motivation, and the motivation will come at the end. Um, you can read this idea of corruption in a few different senses. In the first way, it's just the fact that everything is given to decay, entropy, to disorder. Things in this world tend to go from an ordered state to a disordered state. We see it in our houses that we try to keep clean and neat and tidy. You can, it, it just seems like everything proliferates and before you know it, boom, it looks like it was never clean. Or maybe that's just my section of the basement downstairs. I don't know. But you can, you can see it. I actually I read this uh, science fiction book last summer that the movie Blade Runner was based on called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And the author called it Kibble. That stuff that just gathers and proliferates when you don't recognize it, like, like this handful of pens, kibble. They just sort of, they sort of gather, things gather when you don't look. They tend to disorder. And we see it in our lives. We know that as we age, things start falling apart. I got a new prescription uh, this summer for my glasses because my eyes are getting weaker and at first I was thrilled because it was like I could see everything nice and crystal clear again but I do a lot of reading and now I find that in order to read properly with my glasses on it needs to be here maybe I'm not the only one so if I take my glasses off to see it then it's got to be here so I put my glasses on and go here and then and I'm doing a puzzle now. Some of the ladies there at the house last week saw it, a 2,000-word uh, puzzle. And there's li it's, a, it's a map of the world. And there's these little text on it. So I'm always like looking like this. And th Our bodies break down. We wear out. We die. And death is troubling to us because it's not part of God's good creation. This given to corruption, to decay, is not the way God planned it. It's not what God intended. We have good news. Jesus has bucked this trend to disorder. He has created order where there was chaos. That's the story of Genesis 1. There was this swirling chaos, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered upon over the surface of the waters, and God made order where there was no order originally. Paul talks about order in 1 Corinthians 15, and this is really good news. He says... If Christ had not been raised, your faith would be futile and you'd still be dead in your sins. Those who died in Christ would have perished. For if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. God brought order where there was disorder. The first fruits of those who have died, sin, death, came in through one human being. The resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being, for as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. And this, this passage goes on and on and ends by saying, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's good news. Yes, this world is prone to corruption, to disorder, whether it's our basements or our bodies. But God has conquered that. 
And Jesus is the first fruits of that conquering, and we will follow. But that's not the only reason people talk about corruption. Um, back to the old-timey preachers. We can talk about the moral corruption that is in the world today, right? Not just the physical corruption, but the moral corruption. And I think this is in the background of Peter's mind, too, as he's writing. Conservative preachers will often talk about sexual immorality and abortion as leading moral problems in our society. And I absolutely agree that they are. More liberal preachers would point to global injustice and corporate greed as the big problems in our world and the corruption in our society. And I would have to agree with them as well. There's lots of corruption to go around. The fact is there's problems in this world. When I was writing this message, the U.S. sent a drone strike and killed a general in Syria. And then the Syrians threw missiles into Iraqi bases that had Americans in them. And then the Syrians, supposedly accidentally, they don't know yet, they're saying, shot down a passenger plane and killed over 100 people. While this was going on, there was a gunman in Ottawa who killed a person and put others in the hospital. And I could keep going. All happened when I was preparing this message. There is a lot of trouble in this world. We don't often talk about it because I like the point about the encouraging things. But Peter starts by saying there is trouble, but the good news is God has given us everything we need to escape it. And not just escape it in the future, but to live differently now. Our default mode is to just go along with the society that we're in. Just, just to go along with it because it's all we know. I think you maybe heard the, really, the silly joke, but it makes the point. There was a fish uh, and his friend fish swimming along this way. And an old fish comes swimming along the other way and he says, Hey boys, how's the water? And they nod and wave politely and keep with their little fins. Wave politely and they keep going on. And then the one fish looks at the other and says, What's water? Fish doesn't know what water is. It's just where they are. And the default in our lives, if we don't make every effort, is to just go along with the world the way it is. To assume that this is how it should be. The only way it can be. So we become outraged very easily. This has been thanks in part due to the proliferation of social media, but we get outraged so quickly about things that we shouldn't even really care about. I have a friend, she's a pastor uh, in Montreal, and she started this thing on her social media feed called hashtag Outrage Free Friday. And she's determined to not get outraged at anything on Fridays. And she's been doing it faithfully for over a year now. But our default is to go along with the world. We get easily outraged. We get desensitized by the news. It becomes no big deal because it's the way it always is. We assume that corruption is the norm. But Peter gives Christians better news. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. For this very reason. These words begin this main section of the passage. And this is very basic. But when, when an author says for this very reason, it's worth looking to see what the reasons are. And the reasons Peter gives is this. First of all, and this is the beautiful promise. We read it in our text. God's divine power has given us, you and I, everything we need to escape the corruption of the world. 
He's given us through his divine power everything we need to escape the corruption of the world and to live godly lives. We have everything we need. We are not deficient. We are not lacking. In Christ, we have every resource we need to not live in the corruption of the world, but to transcend it, to live a godly life. I should point out, it's not to live the good life the way we think of it, but to live a godly life. We're going to talk about godliness later in this godliness, not less. Godliness later in this series, so I won't go into it now. But one of these reasons for this very reason is that God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness that will help us to escape the corruption of this world. And he's also given us what he calls great and very precious promises. He's allowed us to share in his very life. Uh, Peter says it, partake in the divine nature. What that means is he's, he's recognizing that God, his Father and Son and Spirit, live this life of love and care within themselves. And they add, Jesus has invited us to become a part of that very life. We don't have to live in the stream of corrupted bad news and deficient morality. We are called to live in the divine life of God instead. That's a big deal. That's what eternal life means. And that's why it's not just about the future. It's about now and the future. It begins now. We are invited into the very life of God. And so because of this, because of God's invitation to share his life, because of the divine power he gives us to escape the corruption of the world, because of all of this, Peter says, we need to make every effort. And this is the point of the message. Make every effort. I already talked to you about uh, Michael Phelps. I wanted to share with you Simone Biles, another Olympian. She started doing gymnastics at the age of six. She had a professional coach at the age of eight. She switched to homeschooling so she could train more. She was only able to get 20 hours of training in a week when she was going to school, but when she switched to homeschooling, she could train 32 hours a week as a kid in school. Man, I think of, Kathy knows this well, I think of how much work our parents put into making us practice piano. <laughs> and I'd set the timer for half an hour and I'd be like, oh, when's this half hour going to be up? Simone Biles practicing 32 hours a week as a kid. Her parents built a gym near their estate so she wouldn't have to commute far and work in. So there was a little bit of wealth here helping her along, in case you hadn't guessed that. At age 19, she set the record for the most gold medals in women's gymnastics in a single Olympics. Five medals, four of them were gold. Olympians are either sleeping, eating, training, or recovering. If there's a definition of make every effort, it's them. That's what you call making every effort. And so here's the tough question, and this is cutting me as much as it'll probably cut you if you take it seriously, but I think it, it has to be said when you hear this, make every effort, do we take our faith, our participation in the life of God, 
our exercise of the divine power that allows us to live not in the stream of corruption, but apart from it, do we take our life from God, with God as seriously as an Olympian takes their training? Paul calls us to make, um, to, to, um, sorry, Peter calls us to make every effort. Paul uses athletic imagery in his language. Um, you, we usually read from Corinthians when we have a communion Sunday because the famous passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But there's lots of good stuff in Corinthians. Maybe someday I'll preach a series on that. Corinth was the host of this famous games, the It's Me and Games. It was almost like the Olympics. It was a major, massive games. Everyone would come there. And so when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, who knew well about the, Olymp the games that they were hosting, he said this, 1 Corinthians 9.24 and following, Do you not know that in a race, the runners all complete, compete, but only one receives the prize? That's the ancient way of saying second place is first loser. But, oh, I mean... Run in such, I'm joking about that, run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a crown, we an imperishable one. So I don't run aimlessly, nor do I box as though I'm beating, in the, I'm beating the air. But I punish my body and I enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I will not be myself disqualified. Paul makes the point that athletes work hard. Why should we not work hard as well at our faith? Peter says, for this reason, you must make every effort to support your faith. And then at the very end of that paragraph, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make all the more effort to confirm your call. He wraps, that's called an inclusion or an inclusio in literature. He says, make every effort. He says, make every effort. And in the middle, he says what we're supposed to be putting our efforts into. And that's going to be the bulk of this series. The things that grow out of our faith towards love. The word effort in Greek has a sense of urgency and haste to it, intensity. It's something that can't wait. It's something that we have to do. It has its roots in quick movement as opposed to sloth. And we are to put our efforts into growing goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection. All these things pointing towards love. Because these things prevent us from being idle and unfruitful. And sometimes I think that I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. I bought a new day timer this year um, for a while. I always used to use a paper one. Then I went to electronic calendars and to-do lists. And I've, I've gone back to paper because I've been reading the studies about the connection between actually physically writing stuff down and the changes in the brain and how, how good it is for you. And I realize that I forget less things if I write them down than if I type them down. So I've got this, I've got my day timer. It's, it's at home right now. That's the problem. It's not everywhere with you because it's not in the cloud. It's on my desk in my basement. But my day timer has, has my week on one side and just lined paper on the other. And I've, I've been trying to carefully reflect at the beginning of this year, knowing that I'm working towards this series on how do I spend my time? What do I do when I wake up? What do I do in the morning? What do I do in the afternoon? How do I spend my evening? Do we fritter it away on devices aimlessly? 
What do we put our effort into? What do you do with your time? A good thing to do, a good practice to do is actually to make a log. Uh, a lot of people have recommended this and it's very helpful. I've done it from time to time to just reevaluate. Log every half hour of your day. What have you done the last half hour? What are you spending your time at? Because that shows us what our priorities are. And I used to think that I was, I was uh, very disciplined. I believe I am significantly disciplined, relatively. But when, when I actually look at the way I spend my week, I recognize that, well, am I making every effort? Am I really working on my spiritual faith? Now, you might be nervous about all this talk about work because we are saved by grace and it's a gift of God. It's not of works. I'll say any person should boast, amen, amen, yes, yes. But that doesn't mean what Peter says here isn't true. Yes, we are saved by faith, and we are called to demonstrate that faithful allegiance to God by making every effort to develop the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. How idle are we in life? Peter says that when we make every effort to do these things, these things will prevent us from being idle and unfruitful. And as we see the fruit of the Spirit starting to develop in our lives, when we're unexpectedly patient with someone who we normally wouldn't be patient with, or when we give of our time to someone without a second thought to how it impacts us, or when we absorb hurtful and painful words rather than turning them back in anger, when we, as the, as the ladies in their study on Tuesday, uh, begin to be peacemakers, as we do these things, as we see the gifts of the Spirit in our lives, it, it, it's almost like a snowball effort. It will make us want to make all the more effort to love God. So I don't know if those motivational things meant anything to you. Those things inspire some people. Other people just chuckle at them. But I do want to encourage you this week to give this message some thought. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. It's short. Read it through. Even read it through daily. Give it a few chances to work its way into your mind. Another trick of mine, is read it out loud. And it tends to stick a little more. And ask God, am I making every effort? And will you help me? <coughs> invite the band to come back. We're going to play Waymaker. Sing that together. And as we're coming back, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us everything we need to not be caught up in the stream of corruption and bad news and all of the ways of the world that has become second nature to so many. Thank you that you've given us, through your divine power, everything we need to escape that. Thank you for adopting us into the very life of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I pray as we go through this series, Lord, that you'll challenge us in our effort levels. You'll challenge us to make every effort to support our faith from which grow all the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to be more like you, Lord. Lord, when I... I'll just confess to you that when I read those comments, when I read the, the, the schedules of those Olympians and what they do, it seems so daunting. But Lord, I know you can help me. 
you can help each of us to improve bit by bit and to better reflect the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Holy Spirit. Be with us. In Jesus' name.